want to um, think about how great God is. I'm, there, I'm going to sort of speed preach this morning. We're going to have, you know, it's, it's this whole thing of how do we, it's, 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 a, it's a good problem or it's a good challenge. How do we keep everybody engaged, not go on too long, and yet at the same time make time for everything? I'm not quite sure what the answer is, but I know some people will just say, well, you shut up. And so, um, what I want to speak about this morning, actually, as, as I sort of began to, to look at it and then I saw something else that I wanted to use on Tuesday, um, I, I'd really say that actually what I'm saying today is completed on Tuesday. On Tuesday night, we have a, a teaching time at 7 o'clock here. And uh, this, this Tuesday, I want to uh, show you a talk. You know, because of technology, um, we can bring people here without bringing them here. Because we can show videos and talks from conferences, and in, because it's so expensive to necessarily go out there, there are opportunities to actually hear what God is saying to people around the world by just showing DVDs. And sometimes, you know, we show these things, and uh, if the person was here alive, people would make an effort to come, and if they're not here alive, you know, just a DVD. But God speaks through people on DVD or alive. And so I want to show a, a, a talk that Randy Clark gave that is just showing process. And why I wanted to, to show it and why it's the other half of this is today I want to talk about the power of God. And, and when we, we did our worship, we were talking about being engaged and coming up to the front and say, Lord, heal me. But the part that is often lacking in our, in our sort of uh, experience of God is that we're so passive that we continually ask God, but we don't enter into anything. In other words, God could say, yes, you're, you, you receive your healing, but there are things that you need to walk through in order to actually experience it. And so there's an element of God is wanting to do so much more than we realize, but we also have to step forward. We also have to receive. We also have to grow so that actually what he wants to release in us, he actually can do. And so the topic on, on, on Tuesday night is, is talking about Gideon and how Gideon was called as a, somebody who felt totally no self-esteem and no hope, how he was called into being a mighty warrior who God used to defeat an army. And, and so what Randy Clark is talking about there is the process of how God takes you from one place to another place and makes you into what you never thought you could ever be. That's called process or process process over here. And I promise you, I would guarantee 75% of us here are lagging behind what God wants for us because of process. Because we actually tend to hold back or we tend to give up way too soon. I just want to encourage you to engage in process. Engage in process. You know, step out and do things and see what happens. Because God needs material to work with. He needs something to work with. But our, our sense of God working also is a sense of how big is God? How big is the God that we gather here to worship? What can He do? It's easy to say, yes, I believe God created the world. And you say, yeah. Well, if God created the world and you say you believe that there is a God, there's got to be more than this, and you believe that He created the world out of nothing, then why is it so difficult to trust Him? If you believe he's able to do so many things, then why are you always stressed out, yoga or not? If you believe that God is so great, then how is he actually coming through in your life? 
How is he coming through in your circumstances? How is he coming through day by day? This is not a rebuke, it's a challenge. Because if God is great, then how come we don't rest in him? How come we don't go, I'm trusting God for this. And then enter into process, allowing him to take the lead. You following my drift? Not really. You ticked off already? Get over it. We're invited into relationship. We're invited into partnership with God. We're invited into a dance with Him that requires that we engage. Let's be encouraged by this word, which is not a, initially a very encouraging word out of Ezekiel. Because what we believe about God will determine how we actually live and follow Him. Israel, in the time of Ezekiel, went into Babylonian exile. The Babylonians were a huge, huge power in the region. And in the, late, in the beginning, in the 590s BC, the Babylonians came and they started plundering Jerusalem. Over a period of about 40 years, Babylon totally decimated Jerusalem, destroyed that city. If you go and visit Jerusalem, you can go through the various portions of the old city and you can look 20, uh, you know, you can look 20 feet down or 30 feet down to where the people walked in the streets during Jesus' time. There are about five uh, sackings of Jerusalem over the history. It's been destroyed more than almost any other city in the world. And it was totally annihilated. You go there today and you stand next to the old temple at the Wailing Wall. There are these massive blocks, huge, half the size of this wall. And they've just been destroyed. The temple in Jerusalem was built and it was finished in 70 AD. In 76 AD or thereabouts, it was destroyed. It was built because they, they wanted a political statement, a political alliance between the Jews and, the, and Herod and the, the rulers. God had made a statement saying, you don't build anything. I will curse it if you don't build it according to my purposes. And they spent all that time building this massive temple and it was destroyed as soon as it was completed. God's not weak. And he does things are way beyond. I would never have imagined such a structure could be demolished so easily. And the people were in Babylonian exile. The number of people around uh, in Jerusalem at that time was probably about the size of Nanaimo, a little smaller. And about a quarter of the people had been taken off to exile. And it was a soul-destroying time. The rest were kind of camping around a very ruined region that had once been Jerusalem, their pride and joy. And nothing in them had any hope. They were totally decimated. There was nothing that they could do, and they just said, where is this God of ours who said he was going to look after us and look what's happened? It's very much like us. You notice that you always ask God to stand before you and give you explanations for why things are going tough. But when it comes to worshiping him or saying yes to him, we kind of go, oh, I don't feel like it. And God sometimes just says, this is, why it is, this is here because of the consequence of your attitudes. It's not my judgment. You've brought it upon yourselves. I told you not to do this. You have insisted on doing this. So a hundred years later, this is what happens. And now you're coming and blaming me. You can read through the Old Testament. It's time and time and time and time again. God speaks and they say, no, we wanted to do this way. And he, he calls out, he gives them prophets, they rebel. And then they blame him. And eventually after blaming him and they're breathless and they're standing there going, now what? God comes in in grace and says, now let's start again. 
And in Ezekiel, Ezekiel has been taken to Babylon when he was 25 years old as a young prophet. He's already prophesied the destruction of Jerusalem and it's already come to be. And he comes, uh, he comes back. Well, he doesn't come back. He's in Babylonian exile. And Ezekiel 37 is given when they're still in exile, when everything is in ruins. When there is no hope and there's no evidence for hope. Here's another reading of it that's on a, a video clip just to, to make it a bit more alive. The hand of the Lord was upon me. He brought me out by the Spirit of the Lord and set me in the middle of a valley. It was full of bones. He led me back and forth among them and I saw a great many bones on the floor of the valley. He asked me, Son of man, can these bones live? I said, O sovereign Lord, you alone know. Then he said to me, Prophesy to these bones and say to them, Dry bones, hear the voice of the Lord. I will make breath into you and you will come to life. Then you will know that I am the Lord. So I prophesied as I was commanded, and as I was prophesying, there was a noise, a rattling sound, and the bones came together, bone to bone. I looked, and tendons and flesh appeared on them, and skin covered them, but there was no breath in them. Then he said to me, prophesy to the breath, and say to it, come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe into these slain that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded me, and breath entered them. They came to life and stood up on their feet, a vast army. And what uh, Ezekiel spoke of, what he prophesied, was that God is going to raise up and, and restore Israel into a vast army, out of its decimation and out of its absolute brokenness. And that's really the story of what God does with people and nations and, and creation all the time. It just doesn't happen like that, usually. And many, I, I remember growing up in South Africa, and I can tell you for 20 years that I was there and eventually did military conscription because I had to. I didn't imagine that I'd, I would live the day to see Nelson Mandela set free let alone be president of the country. And I couldn't imagine the stranglehold of the South African government being, being forcibly removed from the oppressive nature of that country because I grew up in basically a police state. And whenever I mention that, I always say Canada's greatest danger is that they don't take seriously the freedom they have. They're not prepared to fight for it in a way that will hold it. They'll actually, you'll actually erode away because nobody could bother to turn up for the fight. So what happened in the church in Canada? Canada is a really peaceful place, but they're being robbed of their inheritance because they take peace at any cost. That wasn't in my script, just thought I'd add that. But I think we just need to be aware. The same is true in your life. If you don't fight and contend for your life, you will lose it. There's an element of just allowing God to rise up in us boldness and courage. We need one another. And he is able to do exceedingly more. And so we declare that, you know, flesh over bones of a Port Alberni. We declare, God, that you have raised this, this, this 
community up to be a light to you that will amaze. It'll be a light like it was when it was strong economically. But you will heal the arrogance and we'll heal the entitlement and heal the self-centeredness. And we repent of that over this valley and we ask that you release your spirit into this place that you will give life to the dry bones. And as you're sitting here this morning, what have you actually, because we spoke about it during the testimonials, what is there in our lives that we've actually accepted and saying, this is the way it's going to be? I'm accepting the dead bones. I'm accepting that there's no hope. I'm accepting this as my fate. Because this morning we're saying there should be nothing that you're accepting as an end. God wants to release and restore and redeem and, and, and break open in ways that are beyond our imagination. But he, he, he calls us into engagement and process. How big is God? If God, God could take Jesus who went to a cross and he could raise him from the dead, he can do anything. So we want us to ask God to raise our faith level, not just faith by gritting our teeth, but faith in the fact that God is faithful. And so what happens is what we're learning in this church is that the beginning of seeing valleys of dry bones restored and bodies rise up out of death, what has to happen? You've got to hear God speak. Because if you interview the dry bones, they're dry for a reason. They're dry because they've done their stuff and whatever they've done, God isn't present there and so they end up dead and dry. And whenever we end up dead and dry in ourselves, we need to just say, Lord, why? What are you saying? And he might say, this is where you got yourself. But he's always compassionate and kind, so he always says, now come to me. And what happens with Ezekiel? He sends a prophet and he speaks over what looks like impossible. And he says... Put flesh on these bones, bring these bones together, and then let me breathe into them my spirit and there will be life. What does God want to bring life into around you? So one of the things, that's why we've had prophetic teaching here. That's why we're talking about prophetic ministry. Because the way God creates and the way He re recreates is He starts speaking over you. He starts speaking truth over you. He calls things to life. And as he does that, things begin to cha change because the Spirit of God works the opposite of the human way. The human way, you've got to see to believe. The spiritual way, you have to believe to see. So what do you believe about God and what do you believe about yourself? If you're struggling with an addiction, you start saying, Jesus, thank you that you've come here to set me free from addiction. Thank you that I do not have to spend the rest of my life as an addict. That my identity is a son and daughter of the King of Kings. I'm not just a recovering addict. I'm a rediscovered son and daughter of the King of Kings. Now you can whistle in the dark with that one and turn up the music and sing it every day and still be an addict. Or you can really begin to speak out loud. I am a son or a daughter. I was lost, but I am found. And I'm asking you, Jesus, whatever you want to do, I want to be free. And he's going to lead you in a process. Of freedom. He's going to bring you into family. He's going to bring you into relationship. He's going to begin to give you opportunity to say, continue in this path and see what happens. Promise what will not happen is if you just keep on coming and say, I'm declaring I'm free and you do nothing. 
Freedom is a process. It is a, it's what going into the promised land is all about. It's possessing something. And so that passage out of Ezekiel is a promise of God. And because God doesn't change, and because he's not schizophrenic, how many of you learned to ride a bicycle when you were five or ten years old? Guess what? If you've learned to ride a bicycle if you're five to ten years old, and you hadn't ridden a bicycle until you're 40 years old, you could get on a bicycle and ride it, couldn't you? Why? Because you learned when you were young and it stays with you. When you learn things when you're young, things stay with you and you can access them more easily later. So if God could, could do healings and He could do miracles in the Old Testament and New Testament, it's like riding a bike. He never forgets how to do it. He can do them today as much as He can do them yesterday. And so there's a, there's a value in worship. There's a value in speaking out words that speak God's truth over your life. I spent seven years battling this stuff. That's why I'm saying it. And, and the black-white thing that I was talking about with lefty has got nothing to do with race, really. It's about learning from one another. There's an element of uh, seven years of, of angry with God and, and saying no to God and everything went south. And spent so long trying to get God. There's some of you here like me. You're trying to get God to agree to the way you want to live. It's not going to work. I promise you. It's my testimony. It doesn't work. He does not change himself to consute our desires. He doesn't change himself to fit into what we want. He says, you come to me. I don't come to you. Some of us think that if we come to God, he's going to spoil our life. We've been so imprisoned by our mindsets that we don't even know that he has come to set us free. God is able to do exceedingly more than you can ask or imagine. If you could, if you could see your life totally released to him, you'd be, you'd be up here right now saying, I want it. What you'd be a little struggling with is how to get from here to that place you see. And he says, well, that's the process. But it is far more life-giving to be engaged in the process of following Jesus than it is in the process of resisting him or sitting on the fence. God, the one who spoke over Ezekiel and who spoke over the valley and said, let those bones produce flesh and, and breath, is the same God who speaks life over you and me and over this church and over this valley. That is what he does. Wherever he goes, he just sees death and life. And he says, I speak life into this. I speak life into this. And the history of Israel was one of he spoke life in and then they walked away. They spoke life in. They walked away. Went on and on and on. And it's still going on. Very much like our lives, isn't it? Until you come to a place as I did where I just said, God, I'm giving up. Because he spoke into my spirit and said, John, what if I'm for you, not against you? And what if all I have is yours? And I began to say, I'm going to live from that place. But the process of restoration, the process of healing was two, three, four years. Well, it's ongoing, really. It wasn't with the revelation came the complete healing. It was with the revelation came a commitment to change the direction. And out of that, there was restoration. And because God has no favorites, he wants us all to be part of that kind of journey, always. I just want to focus on two other... In Ephesians 2, Paul just says one thing, and uh, this is just to illustrate the dead bones. 
we were all dead and Jesus raised us to life. You know, you won't have a testimony about the love of Jesus unless you have a testimony of what it's like to be dead. You won't have a testimony of the joy and the grace and the kindness of Jesus unless you have a testimony of the revelation of your need for his love. Do you understand what I'm saying? You won't have a testimony of how it feels like for God to touch your life if you don't know what it's like for your life to be separate from him and how you need to be rescued. What it feels like to be dead and then to be made alive. Because nobody comes to God because of their intellect or because of their works or because of their influence. They come because Jesus went to the cross for them and they said yes to Jesus. It's called grace. It's called He died in my place. It's so simple yet it's so profound. And what I'm trying to just focus on this morning is really simple. The God who brings life from death. The God who speaks over death and brings life. Who restores what is not. It's a passage in Romans 4. And I told you I'm going to accelerate, so I am. Romans 4, where Paul talks about, and, it, and Paul's got that same testimony. I always mention with Paul that he was so dead in his academic arrogance, and God made him alive. But Paul, when he's writing in Romans 4, he's talking about Abraham, and he's going back to the father of the faith. And Abraham, who was in his 90s, 100 years old, when God said, you will have a, a, a son, and his wife Sarah was barren and she'd never had children. I mean, talk about a dead valley. Abraham and Sarah. Rationally, way beyond any possibility of children. God said, your seed will actually spread over more than the stars in the sky. And that's why Paul in Romans uses Abraham as, a, as an example of faith. And he says, he is our father in the sight of God in whom he believed. The God who gives life to the dead and calls into being things that were not. So often we are limiting God because we're starting with what we see and then we say, God, how can you do this? And we look at ourselves and our circumstance and we conclude this is hopeless, which is true. And then we say, but, and God must want this to be like this. And we're looking one dimensionally from earth to heaven and it doesn't work that way. You have to look from heaven to earth and you have to see the character of God. It says, is is the God that Jesus revealed one who said, I'm just going to leave you where you are. But when you look to Jesus, you come to him and say, could you do something with this? And he says, can I? Of course I can. I wonder how many of us have given up on our lives, on getting healing on things, on our futures. I wonder how many of us really truthfully are living alive or living half dead, surviving. Even saying, yes, I believe, but are too proud to actually let him press through into something that's real. I wonder if many of us are half dead. And you know what half dead means? Lukewarm means? It means I kind of accept my life. I'm hedging my bets. But I live this kind of rather lukewarm life. There's no passion. And when I'm in conversations with people about God, there's no vision, nothing happens because I have nothing to say. It takes me three minutes and I'm on the side of the person talking to me about how depressing life is. And I have so few testimonies of the presence of God or the power of God that I argue instead about theory because I don't have any testimony. The only testimony I have is that God is a disappointment. 
The only testimony I have is the negative testimony of what hasn't happened. And then I speak with passion. I cry every time you talk to me because I tell you with such conviction what, what is wrong with my life and how bad it is and how people don't understand me. That testimony is a powerful testimony. And I speak it with conviction and with Kleenex. And Jesus goes, how long are we going to do this? How long are you going to actually use your unbelief and your disappointment as an accusation to me for not actually rescuing you? When are you going to actually humble yourself and say, oh, God, help? I do not understand. But the one thing I know, the revelation of Jesus that came to me is that he loves me and he is not responsible for my life. And when you come to that place, it is a sweet place because it's such a relief to give up and say, forgive me, Lord. I don't understand, but your character is such that I want to trust that, not my perception anymore. There's a man who was blind. I'm finishing with this, and Glenda mentioned it because we heard out of, about it in California. But I want to tie up the, 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 the Ezekiel passage, which is about dead, men's, dead people's bones being raised. Paul's declaration over Abraham that God was able to bring life out of something that was totally dead. We could talk about the resurrection of Jesus, that a a corpse in the ground was raised to life because of the power of the living God. We could talk about other instances of raising the dead. But there was this man who was blind, and he cried out to God when Jesus was walking past. And Jesus, it was the instance where Jesus spat in the ground and he anointed his eyes. And there are all kinds of theories about Jesus spitting and why he did this. But the thing that we were reminded of in the conference in California was that that Jesus was basically coming against a curse that was over the Jewish people or over anybody. Spitting is almost a, a word for curse. To say you are cursed really means I spit upon you. And right through the Old Testament, you have people spitting on people. They spat on Jesus when he was crucified. It's a sign of contempt. It's a sign of utter contempt. If a man was angry or uh, if you spat on somebody in the Old Testament, you were regarded as unclean for seven days. And Jesus came and this man was blind from birth and they were arguing about who was responsible. And he said, nobody's responsible. And he spat in the ground and he put that oil, that, that dust and spit on the man's eyes. And, he, and the man said, go and wash in this pool of Siloam. How did God create human beings? Out of the dust, Adam is, the meaning of Adam is dust, out of the ground. What happens if God spat and human beings came into being? That all you're made out of is God's spit and dust. 80% of you is water. What happens if that liquid is the spit of God? What happens when you're removed from God, you say, I feel like spit. Where God is able, every part of him, he can spit and create. Because he's not spitting in actually insult. And he creates Adam and then he creates Eve. And what happens if Jesus is remembering that and he spits in the ground and he's doing a recreative miracle and he's forming eyes and he just puts it on those eyes and he says, go and wash in the pool of Siloam. Because the creator God who can bring life from dead bones can also bring eyesight where there is no eyesight. And that man is completely healed and he sees because the power of God has touched him. And I just want to, he said to him, go and wash in the pool of Siloam. And I want to encourage you to get curious, to get inquisitive, 
to get very proactive in saying, Father, I want to enter into all the healing that you have for me. I want to enter into the whole life that you have for me. And I'm not just going to sit and wait for it to happen like some emotional thing. I actually want to participate in this. And so I'm encouraging you to go, what if you believe that God is able to do exceedingly more than you can ask or imagine in your life? Whatever has happened thus far, there's still more to come. And what if it's not about how much you do, it's just about drawing close to Him and then responding to things. So if you want to hear the second part of this, come on Tuesday night and let Randy Clark do it far better than I can, about how he took Gideon out of that place of inferiority and put him in a place of hope and of victory. God is able. Let's stand. That's the shortest sermon I've given in a year. There's a miracle. You see, there is a God. But we're standing to just say, God, will you just uh, take this word and put it deep into our hearts? You know, there are things that you might have lived with from birth, rather like that blind man, and you've accepted that you will never see. And God says, I rebuke that lie. You don't have to dig around for things. God will bring them to the surface right now. You will know things that he wants to work on because you'll just be aware of them. Sometimes like Mary and Martha, when Jesus says, roll away the stone, we go, no, 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 I'm not looking at that again because it stinks inside. So I ask you not to censor your thoughts, not to censor your heart, not to tell, well, I'll have this one but not this one because just allow God to show you. Father, I ask your Holy Spirit right now to show us where you want to release more in our hearts and lives. Show us the things that you want to actually take away. Maybe it's anger. Maybe it's unforgiveness. Maybe it's despair. Maybe it's victim stuff from the past. Maybe it's unforgiveness. Maybe it could be anything. It could be physical, mental, or spiritual. It could be that if Jesus were to come before you right now and say, I'm going to put this on the screen up, you're going to go, not that. I hope you don't mention this. Anything that causes us to be ashamed, anything that causes us to be afraid or to feel less than proud and confident, God wants to touch. Father, I ask that you release in this room the power of your Holy Spirit to bring to life things that have been dead. I call to life things that have been dead. Some of those things we have killed, they have died at our own hand because of our own sin and our own choices. And we ask you to forgive us where we have grieved you and we speak life. I speak life over dead bones in the name of Jesus, whatever that means for you. Because the way God releases life is you have to speak it out first. And I call to life things that have been dormant or dead in you. And we declare that the, that the victory is won, that Satan is defeated, and that there is a new day. And so I bless you, Father. And I call to life dreams and visions, and possibilities that you never imagined you might walk in. And I pray for courage to step into those visions and dreams. Just come Holy Spirit. Come Holy Spirit. Just bless what you want to do in our hearts today, our spirits today. I call up faith to believe. Thank you, Jesus. Is this received from the Lord? We're just going to be still for a minute as I prepare the communion. But just keep your hands open and your heart open and say, Father, I just want everything. You see, sometimes 
When you're dead, you don't even know that you're dead because you're dead. And when things are dead, you don't even know they're dead because they don't feel. And God has to speak into us and bring them to life so we're even aware of them. So sometimes it's not just about speaking from my place where I go, this is what I'm aware of. Sometimes it's also about saying, Father, what do you see? I just give you myself and I want you to breathe life into me. I don't even know what that means. So Father, I just pray the breath of your spirit will bring to life things we've even forgotten. Because you're the creator, you're good, you're kind. And then just quietly thank him. Even if, you know, there might be some who don't really know what he wants to do. And then if you don't know that, then he's just saying, you know, draw close to me. Let's, let's grow our relationship. What do you want? What would help you in trusting me, believing in me? What would help you to grow in your faith? You can say to him, I want a deeper experience of who you are. I want to experience your love. I want to experience your presence. I want to experience your healing. And that's just like telling daddy, please pick me up. He says, I'd love to do that. So as you wait before him right now, just thank him for his love for you. He's not angry with you at all. Maybe you've got some attitudes where you need to actually ask him forgiveness. Because sometimes that's what happens too. We have to say, sorry that I've blocked the way. And so why we share this meal together is that with Jesus, when he was with his disciples, he had a meal to say, you need a tangible expression of something that will remind you of who I am and who you are and what you're invited into. You're invited into family. You're invited into a relationship with the Father. You're invited into one who provides for you.